We do have a question to ask this morning, big question for the day on the subject. And it's interesting when you get into the text, I'd like to do that this morning. Do you know how to test God? It's a serious question this morning. We're going to ask it. We're going to talk about it. Do you know how to test God? Maybe you think when you hear that, how to test God, how do I test God? It sounds like a terrible question. Why would I ever do that? The Bible actually says in our text this morning, we have a couple different ways of testing God. More than likely, you and I are already testing him in one way or another. Let's turn to our text primarily today, of course, as we're drawing near the end of our uh, messages from Malachi series. We're going to start in the third chapter. Got a block of text here, verses six, uh, 6 to 15, and we're going to jump to some uh, other scriptures here in a little bit later out of uh, the New Testament. After today, we have one week left in this series, and we'll, then we'll jump into something new mid-November, just to bring you up to speed. How do we test God? Let's, let's read of the ways from our text today. The prophet Malachi, once again, my messenger is what that name means, delivers the following words. Verse 6, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, How shall we return? Will man rob God, yet you are robbing me? But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Now listen closely here to verse 10. The Lord says, verse 10, Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Verse 13, your words have been hard against me, says the Lord, but you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said, it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? Listen closely again to verse 15. And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. So what does Malachi say is the incorrect way to test God? Prophet says evildoers are guilty of this. Arrogance. Arrogance before the Lord, verse 15. This is testing God. Testing God's patience. Not recommended. Not recommended. But interestingly enough, Malachi says there is a correct way to test God. Interesting the way God actually gives us permission to put him to the test, believe it or not. In the whole Bible, we found one way 
by bringing your full tithe, quote, into the storehouse to see how God blesses it. I'll never forget the day I, I, I heard a preacher I admired uh, say that God actually permits his people to test him. You know, it's differently than how we might think about it. Differently than how the world tests God. But it's called being good stewards when it comes tithe and offering time. Maybe you've listened this far uh, to the message today, heard me, and you've turned to the person who accompanied you to worship, and you've said, well, Sheila, that's it. Let's get out of here. He's ranting about the offering plate. Everybody's wife is named Sheila, by the way, to me. But hold on, don't go anywhere because, you know, I just want to say to you that as a minister, I feel your pain. And when we bring up the subject, what I like to do is uh, come beside you, uh, not preach at you, but share my disgust with you at some might handle this topic uh, from the pulpit, the idea of presenting one's full tithe to the storehouse. Some preachers uh, test God themselves by being very arrogant on this subject before him. And I share your disgust at this. Uh, you know, traditionally we get the idea, nothing makes me more sick to my stomach than uh, to think of that, picture that guy. We all, we all, we've all got him in our mind. The, the guy, he's got the brown suit and the perfect hair, and he's, he's known worldwide. He's got this multi-million dollar corporate jet, and he, and he screams from the stage of the crowd. And, and what do you hear from him? Repent and send money. I love to do that every now and again. And do make those checks payable to his one-man non-taxable organization. This is offensive, right? I mean, this is offends all of us. Anyone who would use God's word as a vehicle for greed, uh, God's word instead is the means by which we learn about self-sacrifice. But this morning, as we preach through the whole word of God, it must be suggested, as God's people, we are called to be stewards. We are called to be stewards. It's a, sick, it's a sticky subject but it's important that we talk about it. God's Word talks about it. We must handle our resources uh, biblically. Jesus tells us in Matthew 6.21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know, and, and we, we hear mixed messages about money from within the church, don't we? Mixed messages. It's frustrating. Uh, so some people will say, uh, well, God says put 10% of your paycheck weekly without fail in the offering plate at church. Uh, some preachers might say, uh, well, not preachers, but some out in the congregation might say, well, those preachers just put a guilt trip about giving so that more money gets into their pockets. And still other people might say something like, well, I'm just going to work out my offering to God in handiwork around the, around the church building. And yet, God actually says he is robbed when the full tithe is not brought into the storehouse. So, so this gets confusing. This gets confusing. Uh, who's right here? How does Malachi, how does this Old Testament uh, prophet's words apply today? Just what is the full tithe for us? And why is it every time Josh preaches on stewardship, he keeps attempting a Louisiana accent? Well, first of all, in this church, I think we need to establish one thing. 
There's accountability for the preacher. There's accountability for the preacher, no matter my accent. We're set up to where we, we have a board, we have a board, we have elders, we have deacons, a group that, that make a decision on the, the staff's pay. It's evaluated from time to time, and, and this is in conjunction with uh, biblical approval on evangelism, uh, evangelists being supported by their work. You can see in uh, 1 Corinthians 9.14. In the Church of Christ, I've never seen a minister operate differently, many other denominations as well. So in this place, we're not talking about a preacher pay by commission, and this is a good thing. Because no matter how much you liked your, your preacher, if, if giving affected his taking from week to week, could you just imagine his, his insincerity? That's an ugly thought to me. There's a story told about a minister who was watching his congregation while the offering was being collected one Sunday morning, and he happened to see a mother give a child a quarter. The little boy struggled with whether or not to put the coin in the offering plate, but finally the boy decided to hang on to the money. After the service, the, the little boy came running up to the minister and stuck out his hand. As the minister opened his own hand to receive what the boy was giving him, the minister noticed it, it was the quarter that the mom had handed him earlier. Well, thank you, the minister said to the boy, but why didn't you put this in the offering plate? The little boy replied, because I know how bad you need it. Well, Puzzled by his response, uh, the minister said to the little boy, well, what makes you think I need it? And the little guy answered, because my mom says you're the poorest preacher she's ever heard in her life. <laughs> Fortunately, trustworthy ministers don't preach behind a pulpit with a tip jar in front of it, right? Run if you see that. I don't know how some other guys justify it, but biblically, we ministers support our families not by performance, but by the hand of God. We rely on God to provide through his church. And there will be a system of checks and balances established for that giving. And secondly, when it comes to giving, this is a point we, we really need to take from this morning. Let me be clear, the church today is not actually under this Old Testament tithing system to which Malachi is referring. We, we need to establish that. And, and this is to say we're not held today to any kind of mathematical full tithe. We'll, we'll, we'll talk more about that. We'll break that down a little bit more in a moment. But, but understand that just because God hasn't commanded a specific level of resources from our personal stockpiles, this doesn't mean we aren't in danger of robbing God. So what system are we under? What does the full tithe look like for you and me Here's where we want to turn to 1 Corinthians. I believe we have this on the overhead. 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 to 2. See here, Paul is writing to the New Testament church. This is the directions for us that we still follow today. Paul says this. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. Here he's writing to the church of Corinth. It applies to uh, the church of Ferris. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. Now, jump with me a little while. 2 Corinthians 9-7, I believe we also have up there on the overhead. Yes, we do. 
And these are also Paul's instructions for the giving of the offerings we take up. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God lives a cheerful giver. And the same Holy Spirit who inspired Malachi inspired these verses as well. So let's put this all together. How do we do this? How do we meet this full tithe of Malachi? Uh, does it apply to us today? Well, I think we can take the following, friends. First off, our offering is to be given weekly. Is to be given weekly. The full tithe today via Paul given weekly. In 1 Corinthians 16, Paul literally says in the Greek, upon the first day of every week. What, what day is that? One commentator adds, each week the Christian is blessed, he or she must give for the support of the Lord's work. This gets into some fancy questions, some tricky questions. If I stay home uh, from su- uh, church on Sunday because I have a headache, does that dismiss me from my financial stewardship that day? Will man rob God? This is a hard question. And sometimes we, we justify our answer. We're good at justifying our answer. I have my sister or family in town. We always go out to that expensive restaurant an hour away a couple times when they get here. So I better just hang on to that offering till next Sunday. But Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 4.2, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. Are we being the church or are we just going to church? So I'd like to uh, strongly encourage you, my friends, regardless of your circumstances, give weekly. Don't put uh, God to the test in being faithful. May we not call the arrogant blessed, as our text says. There's an excellent book which uh, I know our elders uh, have uh, passed along over the years many times. One I'd like to recommend as well uh, by Denver Sizemore entitled 13 Lessons in Christian Doctrine. Uh, We've had some excellent studies through this uh, book and uh, it'll really help you as a beginner in the faith or if you're just getting going here. He breaks things down in an excellent manner. Denver Sizemore writes here, many Christians conceive of their money as belonging to them exclusively and if they so choose they may give God some. But the reverse is the truth. Amen. Rich. The reverse, however, is the truth. It all belongs to God, and he permits man to use part of it for himself. This is what we need to hang on to. Sizemore concludes, When this fact is clearly understood, it will change the entire attitude of man toward his money and toward his God. Because Malachi 3.10, when we bring the full tithe into the storehouse weekly... We're returning what belongs to God all along, aren't we? Now, am I saying this is going to be easy or convenient? No. Especially if we're young and we're starting our families, we're just getting going, we're just getting our footing in this world, and we got 18 mouths we got to feed. But I'm saying it's what the Word of God says to do. For God doesn't change, Malachi 3.6. Secondly, this morning, when it comes to understanding the full tithe of Malachi as it applies today, the Bible says that our gift is to be given to God, and this is a big word, willfully. Willfully, meaning of our own desire to give. And this is so important. This is so important. It's going to make or break the tithe of the offering. It really is. 
this is a true story. A family member of mine spent a few years in one uh, religious organization. I'm not going to say uh, what church or what group. But after missing a month of weekly meetings, he was actually sent a bill in the mail for missed offerings, and I'm not kidding you. Wow. Sign me up. I want to join them. But this is not what willfully is all about. Willfully means not feeling pressure that other people might be watching what you do when the plate comes your way. Willfully means it's a blessing to give a predetermined amount in proportion to what you've been given. How much tithe is your full tithe? A predetermined amount in proportion to what you've been given. Otherwise, we're robbing God. But how do I decide? I want to be a blessing in my giving. I want to bring the full tithe in. Uh, Can't we just come up with a number and leave it at that, make this whole thing easier? You like 10%? But no, we can't because giving back to God is not not just an Old Testament concept, but 10% is an Old Testament number. Leviticus 27.30, Numbers 18.26, Deuteronomy 14.24, and 2 Chronicles 31.5 discuss God's people giving 10% of the crops and livestock. These were the Israelites who would raise them to the tabernacle or temple. I've heard from uh, several Christians today who are very comfortable following a strict 10% rule on their Sunday morning giving. But here's one thing I I want you to keep in mind about that. 10% was just one small part of the Old Testament tithe. So that's fine if you want to give 10%. But you can't bank on that number legalistically. One commentator notes that if the Christian or churchgoer today were to legalistically follow the same system of giving the way the Old Testament command the Israelites to give, we'd be talking a 24% or one quarter tithe of your income demanded weekly in the offering plate. 24% is legalistically the full tithe, folks. Why? Because the Old Testament asked for multiple tithes, one for the Levites, one for using the temple, and one for the poor of the land. For some reason, we never latched onto that number. Don't know why. But once again, the New Testament nowhere commands or even recommends that Christians submit to this tithing system because Christ fulfilled this tithing system. Jesus did pay it all. If you want to truly put God to the test, Paul tells the church in Corinth about one group of believers, 2 Corinthians 8.3, who, quote, gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. Acts 11.29 mentions that the disciples determined, the disciples determined to give everyone according to his ability. One commentator adds, those who have more should give more. Such regular disciplined giving on the part of every member is the only means whereby a church may meet its responsibilities to the poor and sustain its own Christian work. And I'm guilty of this too. This is going to require some faith on my part, some faith on your part. Consider that we are talking about the Lord God of the universe, the one who made us, the one who redeemed us. I don't have any trouble believing some of his promises about you know, who he sends the sun and the rain on and all that. But for some reason, why is it I can't believe what God says, that he truly means what he says when he promises he will, quote, open the windows of heaven for you and pour down a blessing until there is no more need? Why do I struggle with some of God's promises? I can believe some of them, but others, I, I, just, I just can't believe. I think we'd like to think that we're givers. 
but this isn't the case. Dennis Green of uh, Church Campaign Organizer Church Development shares the following statistics. Hard to believe, uh, but they found that the average Protestant Christian on average gives about 2.2% of their income on average, statistically speaking. Only 2.2%. So think about this, folks, statistically. Many of us could afford to increase our giving even to 5 But most people don't feel they can survive off 90% of their income, let alone 95. Trusting God to take care of us isn't easy. It's going to require our faith in him. It's going to require our dependence on him before we can bring that full tithe into the storehouse. Do we understand why the Bible says it's truly a test of the Lord? It really is. It really is. So the New Testament church must continue to believe the words of the prophet Malachi, knowing that we're biblically testing God in obedience. Considering our ability to give alongside the needs of the church, we can find out what those needs are. How do we know what the needs are? Well, we have a handy-dandy board hanging up behind the kitchen door, advertising weekly where our giving stands in relation to the needs. We can evaluate uh, those numbers from time to time. Here's a really good idea. Uh, if you're wondering what the full tithe means for you personally, pray about it. Spend some time before the Lord. Ask for God's wisdom on the matter, James 1.5. But we don't want to decide what we're giving after we're already in the church pew. We want to get a plan, uh, make a personal budget, remembering that all we have comes from Him. All we have comes from from him. I know it's not easy sometimes uh, to keep food in our own houses, let alone food in God's house, verse 10. And I'm well acquainted with, for example, that conundrum of, of keeping a family fed and, and taking care of insurance payments, etc. I've been there when, when, when you know that there's a check coming in the mail or, or whatever, but when it arrives, it's not exactly the number that you'd hoped for. And I'm convinced that trusting God with your finances is not always going to make sense by the numbers. But if God's people in the Old Testament could give 10 to 25% of the tithe to the Lord, why is the average Christian today under no law of giving only giving 2%? Let's see what God can do, brothers and sisters. Let's put God to the test. Willfully. Because God knows. You know, if we'd rather just save that money for Cracker Barrel, by golly, we better just keep it in our, in our pocket for Cracker Barrel. And can somebody please get to work on building that Cracker Barrel next door? I've been talking about it. I've been preaching on that for four years. I don't need your money. I need your Cracker Barrel. That's one of my ministry goals from 2014, by the way. But brothers and sisters, that's the challenge. It's a challenge for each one of us. Test God on this. Decide what you're going to give. Give it cheerfully. Make some plans ahead of time in the matter. This will make you a whole lot more cheerful when, you, when it comes time to do the giving. Story is told by a, a fellow preacher about a man who, who complained about his church, uh, always asking for money. 
He worked hard, physical labor for his wages, and it was difficult for him. It was just too difficult for him to consider giving it up on Sunday mornings. And obviously, uh, you know, maybe the man didn't see the priority of, of, of what God does through the church. And so the preacher continues, his friend said to him, I, I know how you feel. I, I once felt the same, but then something happened to me that changed my thinking. His friend continued, a baby was born into our family. We discovered that the baby needed a lot of things. Clothes, food, medical attention, and much more. As the little boy grew, we, we had to pour out more and more money for him. The older he got, the more he cost. Teenage boys consume so much food. And his friend stopped for dramatic effect there because just the word teenager evokes dramatic effect because teenagers are dramatic, right, with everything. Then his friend continued, but, but last year in his junior year of high school, the boy was killed in a car accident. Since the funeral, the preacher's friend said, he has not cost us one penny, but which way do you think we would want it? The point being, if our priority is living, we will spare no expense, won't we? If, if one of my children faced a condition that threatened their very life, and if I had to pay out of pocket thousands, a million dollars to get the right treatment, I'd be in debt until Jesus came back for my child to get the care that she, she needs. And so this preacher concludes, similarly, if our priority is to see lost people receive salvation through Jesus Christ, shouldn't we give all that we can cheerfully, willfully to help his church carry out that mission. Because if we're spending more of our money on entertainment, pets, sporting events, eating out, direct TV, and a million other things than we are on fulfilling the Great Commission, our priorities are way off as Christians. I can't judge other hearts, I can judge my own. I know he does. I do know the Lord's command for us, my friends, is to bring to him what can be multiplied for the kingdom. That's what we're here. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Hopefully, we won't refrain from joining with him on this. We are giving to God what is God's. To the one we claim to give glory above everything else. Comedian Chevy Chase once joked, I, I believe in a God that doesn't need heavy financing. And you know, that's true. God doesn't need heavy financing, but he does ask for stewardship. And he promises blessings in return. So maybe we can rest easy knowing that testing God faithfully, the Malachi way, is, is not about being a burden. It's about worship. It's about allowing, verse 10, the windows of heaven to be opened. It's about seeing God doing bigger, better things with our resources for his kingdom than we ever thought possible or that we will possibly even see in our own lifetimes. People that have given, that those, uh, those blessings are still being used and will continue to be used. It's about being the people that God says in Malachi 3.12 are a land of delight as opposed to what the arrogant say. It is vanity not to serve God, verse 14, for only the service to God will matter in eternity. And by the way, the giving of our time and our talents, I don't want to downplay these things this morning. These are indeed the Christian's duties to return to God as well. I don't want to downplay that. And that's your giving to God. And thank you so much for that. 
But good stewardship covers all of what our good God has given to us. We're never going to be able to repay our Lord for what he's given to us, and that's not the point. But we can return all that we can just the same. Just the same. One more thing as we're wrapping up our, our study this morning. There's a unique word in the, in the text here. If we could jump back to, to the text from Malachi, Malachi 3.10. Our text contains a word that, that is unique here. I want to touch on, the, on this briefly. The, the word in the original Hebrew, which we've translated test in verse 10, it comes up other times in Scripture. Uh, for example, and maybe some of you have already thought of this verse as I've been preaching this morning. Deuteronomy 6.16, for example, contains a commandment to Israel to not put the Lord God to a test. Flat out says, do not put the Lord God to, to a test. So maybe if you're hearing this, you're thinking, what is he even going off about? But the Hebrew word in Matthew 3.10 is a little bit different. It carries with it a connotation of examining or scrutinizing. You see the difference here with testing God. See what God will do with what you bring back to him. And that's the message from Malachi this morning. So I'd like to challenge you. Challenge you. Test our God. Give what you can. And I'm not saying this because I'm a preacher. I'm not saying this because I work for Ferris Church of Christ. I'm saying this because God says this. And then watch and wait, knowing full well he's doing the same, my friends. Let's pray. God, I just want to thank you this morning. I just want to thank you all that we have comes from you. You're so good. You're so good to each one of us. Lord, I pray that, that these words this morning, that they would not be a burden to our ears, that, that we would not hear them and turn from them, that we would not ignore them. But Lord, that, that, that like we do with so many of, of your commands or of your promises, that we would accept them that they would not fall on deaf ears, but that we would really trust you. Trust you as our Lord. Trust you as Lord of every part of our lives. Who we are, the talents you've given us, the time that, that we borrow, and also our, our, our financial resources as well. Lord, I pray this morning that, that, that we would not be offended or turned off from you, but that we would be encouraged. We would be encouraged to give up, surrender a little bit more of who we are. Lord, if this be an area in our lives in which we, we need to surrender control, in which we need to, to say, hey, Lord, take this too. I haven't done this in the past. I haven't let you be Lord of the checkbook or, or Lord of, of the savings account, Lord of the portfolio, whatever. That We would let you be God over that part of our lives as well. 
Lord, I, I thank you for those that, that uh, uh, I thank you for, for uh, the giving that we do, Lord. I thank you for the opportunity that we have to, to be cheerful givers. Help us, Lord, to, to understand that this is a, an act of worship. And that you love us and you want only the best for us. Help us to come to you with everything and just to see what you will do, just to examine. You build your kingdom today and in the future in ways we won't even see. Lord, ultimately, I, I thank you for, for the ultimate gift that was given to us. Nothing we could ever give could ever amount to that gift on the cross. To the salvation that is found in the blood of Jesus, the blood that was shed for us. Lord, I pray that that sacrifice would, would show in every part of the Christian's life so that we would be able to reach others for you. Help us to be better stewards. In Jesus' name I pray these things, amen. And ultimately, all that we have to return and all that is shown in what we do return to God is shown in where our heart's at, amen? And so this morning, as we uh, wrap up this time, uh, this message from Malachi on how to test God, uh, we're going to have a time of invitation. If you haven't given yourself up, begun that process, become a new uh, child of God, go, gone down into those waters of baptism after you've confessed Him as your Lord and Savior and come up a new creation, begun that journey, we invite you to do that. Or if you're already a baptized believer of Jesus and uh, you'd like to uh, transfer your membership uh, to Ferris Church of Christ, uh, we give you an opportunity to do that as well. If you have another uh, public decision that you'd like to make, we'd like to invite you to come forward. We're going to stand and sing all about giving. I give you my heart, Lord.